Welcome to uh, Living Hope Church. We're glad you're uh, with us this morning. If you have children in kindergarten to third grade that are going down to children's church, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Melody. Um, if your children are staying and uh, would like some activities, there's activities on that back table uh, that they're free to grab and take to their seat. There's also um, a sermon notes designed for your children that they can grab, uh, take back to their seat and fill out, and they come see me afterwards, uh, and I'll have a piece of candy for them. Uh, well, today uh, we are continuing in our series that we're calling God's Rescue Story. And so much of what we have looked at in our series so far is God's ultimate rescue and the forgiveness and salvation that he offers to any and all that will follow after him. And that's certainly going to be an element of today's sermon. Uh, but today I want us to see the, the depth of that forgiveness that is offered. God's rescue is not just a one-time event that saves us from hell, but it is a process as God restores us, renews us, and gives us purpose in a future in this life and beyond. Today we're going to look at one of my favorite stories of restoration in the Bible, and it's the story of Jesus' disciple, Peter. Um, and if you know anything about Peter, you know that he is outspoken, he is filled with faith, he is bold, he is confident, and he often gets the cart in front of the horse. Peter says what comes to his mind, and he often says what everyone else is thinking, but doesn't say themselves. And what we see is at the root of that, we see Peter's pride and this confidence he has in his own strength. So we're going to be in John chapter 21 today, if you want to head that direction. But before we get there, we need some background for this story. So in the days heading up to uh, Jesus' crucifixion, uh, he prepared his disciples for what was going to happen. At one point, he tells them that I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be given over to the Pharisees. They're going to crucify me, and then I'm going to rise again. And so Peter, he doesn't understand what's going on here, so he boldly speaks up, and he says, that's not true, Jesus. He argues with, with Jesus about it until finally Peter, Jesus says to Peter, I am. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, for you seek the plans of man and not the plans of God. But Peter still doesn't get it. He is so focused on what he can see and experience that he misses what Jesus is telling him. Later, Jesus tells the disciples that someone in their group is going to betray him and that they will all flee. What does Peter say? He says, not me. And so then Jesus says to him, no, you are. And in fact, you are going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. Peter's response to that is that even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Jesus, as I would imagine, he just kind of shakes his head at Peter. And then Jesus is arrested just as he said he would. Peter, when he's arrested, when Jesus is arrested, Peter's like, yes, this isn't going to happen on my watch. And so he pulls out a sword and he cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear. Blood is coming out of his ear and Jesus rebukes him. He says, Peter, put away your sword. Do you not know that he who lives by the sword dies by the sword? Plus, you don't you know that at any moment I can call to my father and have at my disposal thousands of angels? In this story, Jesus then picks up the soldier's ear and he puts it back on. This is a, it's one of those things like you just got to think about. But that guy continues to arrest, it, arrest him. Have you ever thought about that? Like that this guy just has his ear put back on? That in that moment he doesn't just think, well, may, maybe this is not the right thing to be doing. I don't know what just happened, but my ear is back on. I probably should get out of this. But then what happens? Jesus is arrested and the scene shifts to the courtyard. I think sometimes we read about the denials of Peter, and we think that Jesus is off somewhere far away, but the proximity is they are in the same courtyard. Jesus has been beaten and falsely tried, and he needs support from a friend, 
They're in the same courtyard, and a woman comes up to Peter who is trying to just hide out and see what happens. And she says to him, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? Peter responds, no, I'm not one of the disciples. What are you talking about? She says, yeah, I think I saw you with Jesus. He says, no, I don't know that man. It's denial number one. She comes back again, and she's like, oh, man, I mean, I hate to bother you. I know you're trying to get a drink here, but I think I saw you with him. Peter said, I don't know this man. He's getting agitated. He says, why do you keep asking me this? He says, I don't know the man. That's two times. The Bible says a third time she comes back around and she says, no, no, no. Surely you're one of his disciples for you are a Galilean. Peter at this point loses his mind. He starts cursing and he says, I don't know this man. I don't know why you keep asking me this. I want nothing to do with that man. Then the rooster crows and then they're in the same courtyard and Jesus looks over at Peter. They make eye contact and Peter runs out of the courtyard and according to the Bible, he weeps bitterly. Jesus is then crucified. Jesus is resurrected. And Peter is left surely feeling dismayed, disappointed, angry at himself and feeling like a complete failure. I'm sure he is overjoyed to know that Jesus is alive, but I'm certain he is doubting his position, his relationship, his future because of his failure. Have you ever had one of those moments where your team or your organization or your people or group experiences something great, but you as an individual don't know where you fit in it all? That's Peter, but it's magnified because he's denied his Savior. He has turned his back on his, him in his greatest time of need. He had ran and hid when he should have been there. It says he wept bitterly. Jesus is resurrected, but Peter isn't broken. He is embarrassed. He is ashamed, and he doesn't know where to go. So Peter does what we so often do when we find ourselves in that place. He returns to his old life. But before we get there, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into the story. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God that rescues and restores. God, we thank you that no matter what our past looks like, there is forgiveness and there is a future in you. So God, I pray for us today, Lord, if there's people here that don't know you, that they might experience your forgiveness and your grace and your rescue for the first time. Again, I pray for, for many here that have known you for a long time. Perhaps there have been times in our life where we've wandered, or perhaps we're wandering now, Lord, and we need to experience your restoration. We need to experience your renewal in our lives. So, God, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves in Peter's story, and that we would leave confident uh, in our forgiveness and the restoration that's available in you. God, we love you, and we praise you as your name we pray. So first off, if you are a follower of Jesus, have you ever found yourself in Peter's shoes? Perhaps you've made a bold proclamation at camp or on a Sunday morning or in an emotional time that you will never deny Jesus. You will never return to that sin or fall back to your old habits. You will boldly proclaim the gospel to your friend. And then a day later, a week later, a month later, you have the opportunity and you cower. Or you return to the sin or you embarrass yourself and God through a slip up. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in Peter's shoes? I know I have, and that's where Peter finds himself. So what does he do? Peter goes back to his old life. Before Jesus, Peter was a fisherman. He doesn't know if Jesus still wants him, so he goes back to fishing, and we're going to see it's not going so well. This is where we're going to pick up our story. We're in John 21, starting in verse 1. John writes, Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we will go with you. 
So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So Peter went back to his old life, but it wasn't going very well. He fished all night and he caught nothing. Have you ever had that happen to you? You decide to give up on God, so you return to your old life, your old ways, your old patterns, your own places, only to find that there is no enjoyment, no happiness there any longer. Pastor J.D. Greer said, this is the worst place to be. He said, you've seen too much to ever be happy again in your old life, but you are too discouraged to keep going forward with God. That's where Peter is, and that's where so many of us have found ourselves, and it just might be where you find yourself today. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So Peter has returned to his old, old life. He is trying to move forward on his own without Jesus. He is hurting. He is disappointed. He is ashamed, and he's unsure of his future. Peter has nothing to offer here. And so in the midst of that, what does Jesus do? He goes to Peter. And so our first point today is this, that God meets us in our failure in our disappointment, in our shame, in our pit. Jesus doesn't wait for Peter to come to him. He doesn't wait for Peter to beg for forgiveness, but instead he goes to Peter right where he is. Isn't that amazing? In the same way, God doesn't wait for you to clean up your life. He doesn't wait for you to overcome your addiction. He doesn't wait for you to be sinless. He doesn't wait for you to right the ship, but he comes to you right where you are. And that's the heart of the gospel. That's the, the heart of the message of Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is not that we righted the ship, that we cleaned up our act and found God. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that while we were still sinners, while we were running from God, he still loved us. And he showed his love for us by dying on the cross, by taking the death our sin deserved, and by offering us his love and his forgiveness. God's rescue story is not about us finding our way to God, but God's rescue story is about him coming to us in all of our failures, all of our sins, all of our hurts, all of our disappointments, and restoring our relationship to him. And as we see in Peter's life, this isn't just a one-time thing. But God constantly comes to us in our disappointment. And he offers us restoration. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us purpose and mission in him. So if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, he comes to you and he offers you forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life in him. And if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, but you, you feel like you've failed too greatly, you feel like you've wandered away, you feel like you've let God down, you feel like you are, are unforgivable, then, unforgivable, then know that Jesus comes to you, just as he did to Peter. And his desire is to forgive you restore you, and renew your purpose in him. Let's see this play out. Verse 5, Jesus called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Let's pause for a second and look at this, this kind of amazing dialogue. First of all, these men have been fishing all night and they've caught nothing. This is their profession. This is their trade. This is what they are experts on. The one thing these men know to do is to catch fish. And Jesus calls to them who they don't recognize, and he says, friends, or other versions say he says children, and he gives them some fishing advice. And his advice is just to throw the nets to the other side of the boat. And that dialogue is crazy. This would be like my seven-year-old meeting the Colorado Rockies after a game and asking them how the game went. 
when they responded not so good, we lost by 10, and then, and then him giving them advice like, well, maybe you should just throw more strikes and score more runs. And they're like, ah, you know, like that's just the help we needed, right? I mean, you can almost imagine Peter here who doesn't yet recognize Jesus just rolling his eyes and throwing the nets to the other side of the boat out of spite for this terrible advice he just got. But here's a question from this dialogue that one pastor pointed out that I loved. He asked, why would Jesus ask the question? Why would Jesus ask the question, have you caught any fish? I think the reason Jesus asked this question and the reason he sometimes backs us into a corner is so that we recognize our frailty, our limitations, and our need for help. When we have walked away from God, often the most difficult and most important person that we have to stop lying to is ourselves. We have to stop lying to ourselves about our situation. We have to recognize that I can't do it on my own. We have to recognize that this lifestyle, this relationship isn't fulfilling me or making me happy. We have to recognize that the addiction, the, the drunkenness, the pattern, the, the whatever is not what I want it to be. We have to admit to ourselves that we have been fishing. We have been chasing. We have been pursuing, and it's left us empty. We have to admit to ourselves that we have done this all night. We have fished all night, and we've caught nothing. And that's where Peter is. Let's pick up in the narrative, verse 7. It reads, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved... And so if you're not familiar with the book of John, the disciple that Jesus loved is a reference by John to himself. John John was a humble one. And so John said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, Peter wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Peter recognizes or hears that it's the Lord, it's Jesus, so he jumps out of the boat and he swims to Jesus, and then he goes back out and he starts hauling in this giant net of fish. And this is such a microcosm of who Peter is, and such a microcosm of who I am, and such a microcosm of who so many of us as followers of Jesus and as Americans are. One of the things that defines Peter throughout the Gospels is his hard work and his self-sufficiency. His solution, like so many of us, to any problem is just to work harder. And that's a great characteristic to have in this world. But when it comes to Jesus, it, it misses his desire for us. And so Peter is swimming. He is hauling in 153 fish. He is saying to Jesus, look what I've done. Look at these 153 fish I've caught. He's trying to impress his way and earn his way to Jesus. Meanwhile, did you catch verse 9? It says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish already on it. Peter is working hard, and Jesus already has breakfast waiting for him on the beach. And what we see in this chapter is Peter desperately trying to impress Jesus and earn his forgiveness. Meanwhile, Jesus has come to Peter, and he is simply going to say, follow me. 
And so our second point today is this. God restores rest, and he just says, follow me. God's salvation, God's forgiveness, God's restoration has absolutely nothing to do with us, but it's all about Jesus. God's rescue doesn't depend on our talents, our giftings, our resources, our ingenuity, but it's all about Jesus. For Peter, his relationship to Jesus has always been about working and proving himself. Working and proving that he's the best. But Jesus is not asking Peter to prove anything. He doesn't even need Peter's 153 fish. Jesus came to Peter and he prepared a table for Peter. And this applies to us if we are not yet a follower of Jesus. And it applies to us if we've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years. Our restoration, our forgiveness, our acceptance by God has absolutely nothing to do with our effort, with our proving ourselves worthy, but it has everything to do with Jesus. And so if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and we read earlier, God shows his love for us in this. He sent Jesus to die for your sins, not once you cleaned your life up, not once your good outweighed your bad, not once you attended church ten straight Sundays, but he sent Jesus to die for your sins and my sins while we were still sinners. Jesus has made the way. He has done it all. He offers you rest, forgiveness, new life in him based on his merit, his victory, not your own. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. But instead, the Bible says he waits for you with open arms because he's already made a way. The gospel is that Jesus has given you acceptance as a gift. The work is complete. There is nothing you could do to make God love you more. And that is the message, that is the truth the gospel speaks over the believer as well. It says you are loved in Jesus. Rest in that and give your life back to him. Jesus didn't need Peter's fish. He didn't need his work because Peter was already forgiven. He was already accepted and Jesus already had breakfast waiting for him on the beach. In Jesus, you can find rest. Rest that you don't have to earn Rest that you don't have to earn, but instead that you rest in that you the fact that you are already loved and accepted. But here's the deal, because many of you are thinking what I think when I hear the word rest. When I hear the word rest, I associate it with the word lazy. And the last thing I ever want to be called is lazy. But that's not rest. Rest is found in the settled truth of your future. Rest is found in your forgiveness. Rest is found in your purpose and the reality and truth that you are loved. Rest is found in Jesus alone. Christians ought not be lazy, but instead they work, but instead they work hard not trying to earn acceptance by God, but they work hard, they love, they give, they help because they have been accepted by God. Not to earn God's approval because they already have it and they love him in response. Christians don't work hard because Jesus needs them, but because they delight to cooperate with Jesus in his mission to reach the world. And they want to offer themselves for the world as he offered them himself for them. So as Christians, we don't work to earn our acceptance before Jesus, but instead we give our lives back to Jesus out of gratitude for our acceptance. For our restoration, our forgiveness, our acceptance by God has absolutely nothing to do with our effort, but it has everything to do with Jesus. So from there, Jesus begins a dialogue, a conversation with Peter. We're verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So remember the context. Days earlier, Jesus had told Peter that he would deny him, and Peter said, never. But the evening when Jesus would be killed for the sins of the world, the evening he needed a friend, what did Peter do? He denied him three times in the courtyard when a young girl questioned him on his friendship with Jesus. Three times he denied his Lord and Savior, and Peter was embarrassed and broken. So look what Peter does. He, or look what Jesus does. He reminds him of his failures so that he can restore him for the future. The setting of this second conversation is around a fire, just as Peter had previously denied him around a fire. He says, do you love me more than these? Referencing the disciples. Peter earlier said, even if all these other followers forsake you, I never will. Jesus is saying, do you really love me more than these? Than the opinions of others. And then he asked him the question not once, not twice, but three times. And when he asked him the third time, Peter is hurt. He becomes upset because he recognizes the correlation, and it hurts. It hurts him to think of his past sin. It embarrasses him, and he is just ready to move on. But so often when God desires to restore us, we will first have to recognize and reconcile our past. In order to be restored, we must know that what we are being restored from. But when that happens, it is painful as it brings up past sin we would rather forget. It brings past failures we would, uh, we would prefer to forget. And it brings up past hurts that we don't want to forgive. And so the next thing I want us to see is that God's restoration can be painful, but it is always good. I think this is especially true for those of us that are already followers of Jesus. There will be times in our life that God will restore us and he will call us to deeper faith just like he did Peter. There are times that God will call us to overcome a sin, overcome an attitude, overcome a lack of faith in our life, and it will always be challenging, but it will always be good as we leave walking closer to our Savior. And so often what this is doing is making us aware of our self-sufficiency, our self-righteousness, our self-satisfaction, and calling us to trust God and embrace His love and goodness. So to be restored or to be renewed, it often takes pain. We see that in our world all the time as well. Just about any growth in any area is going to come with sacrifice and pain. Right? When you lift weights, you're, you're going to create these micro tears in your muscles, which make them sore, but they come back stronger. If you want to get into shape, you've got to do two things, neither of which are fun, but they work. You've got to eat less calories than you take in, and you've got to exercise. And exercise can get to the point where it's fun, but, but at first it just reminds you how out of shape you are. If you want to get a college degree, you're going to have to sacrifice financially to pay the school, and then you're going to have to sacrifice your time and energy to do the work. But when you're done, you've grown in your field of interest, and you've grown in your character as you finish something hard and delay gratification. That list can go on. If you want to be a better parent or spouse, you're going to have to be present and sacrifice some of your desires. If you want to grow a garden, you're going to have to invest time, energy, and sweat equity into it. In any area of life, you have to sacrifice, you have to endure pain in order to grow. And that's the same with our faith. If we want to grow in our faith, we have to surrender all areas of our life to Jesus, even those dark and difficult corners we would prefer never see the light of day. 
We have to admit failure. We have to admit the sin. We have to admit that we have wandered, no matter how painful that might be, so that we can experience the forgiveness Jesus has already offered us. One other awesome thing on this is that Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. And that's significant because it matches the amount of times Peter denied him. But I also think it's significant because of the number three. In the Bible, the number three has significance. And that significance is it stands for completeness. When Jesus forgives him, he forgives him completely. And Peter is free to move forward in Jesus' love and grace. In the same way, when I and when you are forgiven by Jesus, it is complete. All of our sin is forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It is complete. And when Jesus talks to Peter here on the beach, he was already forgiven by, by the sacrifice of Jesus. The price had already been paid. And so when Jesus takes Peter back to that point, he is reminding him of the complete forgiveness he already has so that he can move forward. In the same way, if you are a follower of Jesus, then all of your sin is already forgiven. All of your sin, past, present, and future, is forgiven by the blood of Jesus on the cross. But despite that truth, we, like Peter, can begin to hear and we can begin to believe the lies that my sin is too great. My sin is too shameful. My sin is too much to ever be forgiven and certainly ever to be used by Jesus. But this story in the gospel is a reminder that no matter your past, no matter your sin, you are forgiven in Christ. If you begin to hear the whispers or you are reminded of your sin, and you begin to believe it's too much, I'm too far gone, Jesus couldn't possibly forgive me. In that moment, recognize the sin and confess it and turn it over to him. Because in him you are forgiven. You are free and you are called for his purposes. And that's what we see in verse 18. Verse 18, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you want to go. Where you do not want to go. Jesus said, This is to indicate the kind of death for which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Follow me. Jesus is telling Peter here that he's going to make it. He's going to overcome this moment, and he's going to stand for Jesus to the end of his life. Earlier, Jesus had told Peter that he would be the rock on which he would build his church. I would imagine that Peter felt like that that all went out the window there in the courtyard. But Jesus is saying, no, you're going to make it, Peter. You're going to make it to the very end, and my purpose for you remains the same. You, Peter, will be my rock. Look at the imagery of how this will happen. Jesus says, you will stand for me. You will give your life for the mission, for the future I've laid out before you when you rely on me like a child relies on a parent. You see, when, Jesus, when Peter stretched out his hands in his own might, he denied Jesus three times. But when he stretches out his hands in dependency on Jesus, he has the courage to go to the cross himself. And in revealing the end, in revealing how he would die on the cross, Jesus restored Peter and empowered him for the mission. And so that's our next point. God's restoration empowers for the mission. You see, when God saved you, he saved you with the desire to give your life purpose and mission. He saved you with the desire to be in relationship with you, the desire to give you rest, the desire to give you a future, and the desire to give you a purpose to wake up in the morning. God's desire for you is to know him and to make him known to those around you. He desires for you to praise him using what he has given you to honor him and share your hope with the world so that all might know him and his love and grace. Jesus loves you. He has saved you and he has given you a task with eternal significance just like Peter. But it's so easy to be like Peter and get distracted by the past or to get distracted by our own efforts, our own strengths, our own weaknesses, ourselves and feel disqualified. 
But Jesus has forgiven you and he has restored you with purpose for the mission and the future he has laid out for you. Now your call won't look like my call or your neighbor's call or Peter's call or your friend's call. But God has plans for your life that hold eternal significance. And he restores you and calls you to get to it. Peter had a unique call to be the rock that the church was built on. The Bible says you have a unique call that God has for you that will use your talents and gifting so that others may know him. And he, like Peter, has told you what happens in the end. In the end, Jesus says your eternity is secure. Your future is heaven in the presence of God. You know where you're going. You can rest in that and you can share that hope with others. God has you where you are for a purpose. Everything about your life is intentional. You are here in this church for a purpose. You are in the school you are in for a purpose. You are at the job you are in for a purpose. You are in the neighborhood, the gym, the team, the office, the club for a purpose. The Bible says that purpose, that reason is to shine the light of God there and make him known. God has saved you. He has restored you. He has empowered you just as he did Peter. Believe that and trust in him and share your hope with others. So if you're a believer, the question for us today is, are we living like we have purpose or are we still living in our old patterns? Are we using our giftings and talents and the opportunities God has given us in the places he has placed us for his glory? Or are we just going through life? Maybe you never thought about this, but this week I would consider you just to look at where God has placed you and, and think about how he might want to use you in that place so that others might know him. Maybe he wants you to be more intentional to reach out at work. Maybe he wants you to not give up on your job and put in the extra effort that no one will see, but it honors the Lord. Maybe he wants you to serve at church or in the community and use your talents for him and his glory. Maybe he wants you to have a conversation with someone he's put on your heart. Whatever it is, go and do it. Accept his forgiveness and say yes, walking forward in his calling. So Peter seems to be getting it. And then we come to verse 20. We see that Peter is just like us. Jesus has restored Peter. He has forgiven Peter. He is telling him about this incredible future he has that's going to make a profound, eternal difference. And what does Peter do? He looks at somebody else and he says, what about him? Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, was following them. This is John again. When Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you, Peter? You just follow me. Jesus has just told Peter, Peter, you're going to love me. You're going to lead for me. And then you're going to show the greatest courage by dying for me. And Peter's response is to turn around and jump to John and say, what about that guy? Peter is us. We are always comparing our lives, our skills, our call, our future to others. And Jesus says, stop doing that, and you just follow me. When we live our lives looking at others instead of Jesus, we will be forever ungrateful. But when we live our lives looking at Jesus, we see the abundant grace, love, and forgiveness we have been given. And so the last thing is that, that God's restoration restores our focus. God's restoration lifts our eyes from us and others to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but this is a big one for me. Because I regularly need God to lift my eyes from myself, from my circumstances, from others to him. Jesus wants us to focus on him and on doing the job he has for us and not play the comparison game. When I look at others, I get discontent in a hurry. But when I look at Jesus, I see how much I've been given. 
none of it in which I deserved. And when I see all that I've been given, it leads to restoration, to gratitude, and to a life sold out for the mission to make him known. Jesus says to Peter and to you and to me that it is Jesus himself. It is his grace that is our prize. Follow him. Rest in Jesus. Love Jesus. Delight in Jesus. Don't rejoice in your strength. Don't rejoice in your title. Don't rejoice in your accomplishments. Don't rejoice in your worldly possessions. But Jesus says rejoice in me. Rejoice in your future, which is secure, which is eternity in heaven. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Look to me, Jesus says, for that is enough. So as we begin to wrap up, there is, there's so much in this story. And so Melinda, she's going to come and play. And I just want to give you a few moments to pray and to reflect and to ask God where it is that he desires to restore you in your life. So where do you find yourself in this story? Maybe you're here and you've never experienced restoration and forgiveness in Jesus, and you need to surrender and experience His grace for the first time today. God's rescue story, the Bible, the gospel says Jesus loves you. It says that He gave His life for you, and He waits for you to turn and follow after Him. So that's you, and you've never done that. Would you do that today? Would you talk with me or someone you trust about following Jesus? Would you pray in your seat or, or would you come and talk with me and pray with me and surrender your life to Jesus for the first time and experience his love, his grace, and his forgiveness? Or maybe you're here and you find yourself in Peter's shoes. There was a time that you followed and trusted Jesus, but you find yourself having walked away from the faith, walking, walked away from what you, you know that God desires for you. You're discouraged and you've gone back to your old patterns and, and, and your own habits. The story of this is that Jesus is waiting for you. He has come to you. Jump out of the boat of your old life and return to him. He has already forgiven you and he's waiting for you with breakfast on the beach. Would you repent? And the word repent just means to turn around and follow him. Jesus desires to restore you, renew you, and empower you with purpose. So if that's you, if you find yourself in Peter's shoes, would you return to him today? Or maybe God's put something on your heart that you know he's calling you to do, but you're dragging your feet. Or you're trying to disqualify yourself based on your past, or you're looking at others and comparing yourself. It's so very easy to make excuses, but, but we are called to God's purpose and mission. If that's you, would you turn your eyes to Jesus and let him help you fulfill the calling he has for you? In this story, we see that Jesus' forgiveness is complete, and he's waiting for us. He has a purpose for each of our lives, and he wants us to follow him and serve him with the gifts and talents he has given us, to honor him and to make him known. Perhaps you've never thought about that, and you have questions about what God might be asking you to do. Come and talk with me. I'd love to talk with you about that. Or again, if you know what he's calling you today, would you surrender and begin living your calling as we leave? I'm going to pray for us, and as I pray, Melinda's going to play, and as she plays, I just ask you to bow your head and to pray for just a moment or two. And I'll come back and I'll close us. Dear Lord, we thank you for this story of Peter. We thank you that despite his failure, despite his sin, despite his embarrassment and his shame, God, that you went to him. That you met him right where he was. That you forgave him. And you empowered and sent him out for the future. 
So God, I pray if there's anyone here today that, that feels like they are too far gone, that they have sinned too great, they are too unworthy, that their, their past is too shameful, Lord, that you would, that you would help to, de- to defeat that lie in their head. Lord, that you would open their eyes to the truth that your love and your grace and your forgiveness awaits them. God, that you would help them to, to know the truth that while they were a sinner, while I was a sinner, while we were sinners, you sent Jesus to die for our sins. And God, I pray if there's someone here that's feeling like that, perhaps they've never experienced your grace and forgiveness, I pray that they would do that for the first time. But God, maybe there's people here that, that are feeling like that and they've been followers, they are a follower of you, but they just feel like they're too far gone. God, I pray that you would help them to see themselves in Peter's shoes. And that you would help them to see that what waits for them is grace and love and forgiveness if they'll turn to you. So God, I pray that you would speak to us in these next few moments, Lord, that you would give us the courage and faith to respond as you're calling us to respond. Whether it be to turn to you for the first time, whether it be to return to you again, or whether it be to embrace your calling and your mission for our lives. God, we thank you that in you is love, grace, forgiveness, and purpose. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen.